Welcome to What Else? This episode is sponsored by Emporium Arcade Bar. Emporium hosts awesome game, beer, food, and live music events daily in Wicker Park and Logan Square. Visit EmporiumChicago.com for info. Uh, This episode of What Else features Nick Porta, and I'm not sure we really need more setup than that, so let's listen to Nick Porta and find out what else. Did you try this yet? I'm I'm, I'm about to. I haven't had gum, I think, in perhaps... Two decades. Is that right? Yeah. Not even sugar. I don't think I've had any gum. I've, I've certainly not had gum. I've, I've certainly not had gum for more than about fifteen seconds in my mouth. Hmm. But what's surprising to me? This could come, and it comes with a unfortunately. Cut. Mm. Oh yeah, that's the other great thing about the kosher bazooka is that it has the oh. Hebrew uh, comics. It's in Hebrew anyway, so that's right. <laughs> There's no way I can understand. <laughs> that's fantastic. It's pretty great. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to inform people that we're um, starting our episode of what else. Right. We can keep puzzling. Yeah. So I'm with. Um, Nick Porta, and we're both chewing uh, kosher bazooka. I have approximately six pieces in my mouth right now. I think you're on your first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a um, a jigsaw puzzle as we do this show. Baby faces. So, yeah. Baby animal faces. Baby animal faces. Really, not baby human faces, but I'm not sure which would be better. I think I like the baby animal faces better. The anti-human well, animalists like all look alike. So, well, the anti-human animalists that um, created this puzzle just called it baby faces. Mm-hmm. That's right. The presumption being that stick it to the human. The only faces that matter, right, are non-human faces. Human faces matter. Human faces matter. All, all human faces matter. Mm-hmm. Um, may have gone too far. Though. All right. Can you want to pass me the box? And we'll oh, talk yeah. about some. So uh, this is what else? And um, I'll start by asking you, what else? Else? <clears throat> That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I worry that there is not an else. You know how you fall into a rut and you have the three things that you do? Work, family, and the other thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's good to actually ask the question, what else could we so often? Cause there, there, is, there are else's, there should be else's. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the else's get pushed to the side. So that's a great question. I just don't have an answer just yet. How do you, do you have any tactics that you use personally to try to get yourself outside those three things into an else? Like, like when you feel that way, when you feel like if you're a little hemmed in by, the three things. What do you do? Like, what's your approach? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think that the, the there's the going to be a are, lot of them. Yeah, I bet. All right. <laughs> no, I, I think that the 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 point is to jump out of the rut, right? And so right. you know, reach out to somebody who I haven't seen or talked to in a while because okay. that'll 
that'll spur the else's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a from a just a general strategy standpoint, try to have sort of diverse interactions or, or interactions with diverse people, mm-hmm. um, and so have the you know the connections that are you know work based, but also connections that are from different you know it, it, keep developing connections from different stages of the life you know i've i've had um i have connections from you know early high school later high school mm-hmm. college beyond college work work here work there and you know they're just different because i was in a different place at the different times mm-hmm. um and I was in a different mental stage, and there was right. a period during which I was apparently quite conservative in my political thinking. Is that right? Yeah. What phase was that? Um, I think eleventh uh, grade. Okay. Um, it was it was uh, I remember having dinner at the house, and we had a a dear friend of ours who ha- had been a neighbor, and then we moved away, but was still almost like a member of the family, and. And we were just having some conversation. I don't remember what the conversation was about. Yeah. Might have had something to do with fiscal responsibility or something. I, I can't remember. Were you watching a lot of family ties at the time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alex Keaton was uh mm-hmm. was in the in the family room. No, but I remember, you know, I, I, I thought I was saying something that seemed reasonable and, and you know, logical and and I was just called out and said, mm-hmm. you know, you're um you're essentially a Reaganite. And and part of me felt, you know, sort of proud that I'd come up with some political thought. And then immediately I thought, that maybe isn't the thought that I would have wanted to come up with. Mm-hmm. You wanted, it was good to be noticed, but maybe not for that. Yeah. And, you know, I thought about things a little more. And then actually, you know, I, I met um, our friend Vinay, who uh, back then was a socialist. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> okay. And uh, you know, he's he's a very interesting guy, as you know, and um, True. ended up having you know a little broader thought or thinking about stuff. And but I I I I won't deny it. I mean, I could right. I could cover it with you know the rug or something. But nonetheless, I I apparently had those views at that time. So- yeah, you seem like you've done a pretty good job of that. You've also had like having people that you interact with and stuff you do through work and through different sets of friends and stuff. So you've also had so for people who don't already know you before they listen to this, you've had some uh geographic variety, right, in your background too. So you have people yeah. in different places. So explain that explain so you were born where? Here As- or I was born in Champaign, Illinois. You were the Champagne of small towns. Uh that's good. <laughs> um, in that's a good. in at Burnham City oh, Hospital. Okay, yeah. Which uh, was a hospital when I was born there, and then eventually I think became a psychiatric hospital. Okay. And then became a park, and currently is a grocery store and condominium building. Oh, that sounds kind of um, nice. I drove past. It could it. be worse, right? Yeah, I drove past it uh, this summer. Okay. Um, or fall, and uh, that's what's on there is a grocery store and, and a you know depart, a 
apartment building. And you lived there till you were how old? About a month. Oh, is that right? That yeah. soon? I didn't realize that. Well, so, yeah, we were supposed to move um, back to Argentina uh, when my mom was pregnant, but they wouldn't let her fly because she was too pregnant. Mm-hmm. So she had to wait until I was born. And then about a month after I was born, we moved down there. Um, we were going to move down there to live, and, and the, the thought was that I should be born there because it would be easier. Okay. But um, but I wasn't. So we moved down there. We lived in um, in a small town uh, uh, an hour or so away from Buenos Aires. Um, okay. And that's where my little brother was born. So we lived there for a couple of years and then moved back to Urbana for a couple of years. Um and I have some recollection of that. I think I turned four in that house, and, and I have some vague memories of that. Of being in Argentina? Of being, in no, first the day. first time around in Argentina, I have you no have memories. No memories, okay. Um, but the, you know, uh, until, we were about, until I was about four or maybe five, I think four, um, I have memories of living in, uh, in Urbana. Then we moved back to Argentina, Buenos Aires, and I have definite memories of that time. So period. what was that second, what, what ages were you for the second phase of Argentina? Between four and six, roughly. Okay, so, so I went ca- there, and I was there in for, for first grade. So I guess I was maybe okay, five so and six you're born, years old. You're born in born, Urbana. Born in Champagne. Champagne, sorry. One moved month later. Ar- moved to Argentina for a couple of years. Okay. So then when I'm around two, we moved back to Urbana. Okay. And then we lived there for a couple of years, and then when I'm, I think I'm four or five, we moved back to Argentina. Okay. For another couple of years. And then I did first grade, and then we moved back to Champaign, and then, and then you know, I second grade, but then I switched schools again, so then third grade, a different school. Okay. And then when I was in fourth grade, we lived in half the year in Italy, in Florence, and the other half of the year in Venezuela, in Caracas. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Okay. And so that was two different schools. Yeah. And then we went, we moved back. It was My, my dad was on a sabbatical, so we were okay. traveling on. And then... Came back to the United States. In fifth grade was the first time I went to the same school that I had been to previously, but it wasn't that same year. It was third grade school that I went back to. Fifth grade, you were back in Urbana? I was in Champaign. Okay. And then we moved to Urbana. You know, we got in the uh, covered wagons. Yeah, I got it. Actually went east this time, right? But we moved east and went to Urbana. So then I went to sixth grade there, and then I went to junior high. So then seventh grade, which was a different school. And then I switched schools again to go to the... The, the geek school and that was eighth grade and then we moved to argentina again Oy. okay ninth grade and that was and then after that was the first time that i actually was in the same classroom two years in a row 10th grade wow okay so so there were a bunch of kids along i mean i met new people every year and i wasn't really good at making friends and so really my 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 most um my best friends were my brothers because we were always together and yeah uh, we were fairly close in age and um, so, and then, but at that point I actually, in Argentina, in, then did you come back? Then I there? came back. And so I did the first two years of high school in Argentina and then the second two years of high school in Urbana. Okay. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, I sort well, of I picked up really connections see. along the way, right. um, from, you know, the, the first couple of high school years in Argentina, I have, you know, a group of friends who I, um, I've somewhat kept in contact with and more recently better contact. And I was just in Argentina last year and the year before and, um, and, uh, reconnected with them. And, you know, it's it's just been fantastic. And, and there's, uh, you know, part of a group chat where every day, 
something gets, you know, passed along among these guys, and some days a lot of inane things get shared. And um, So I keep in close contact with them, and, and I have a, a, a couple of friends from the later high school years from Urbana that I keep in contact with, and they're very different people. And and then there's a college crew, and you're one of those. Right. Um, and that's a also a very different group. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think that it, you know, I, I, I don't really have that many friends, but I guess I have friends from a bunch of different periods in my life, and I've had very distinct different periods in my life. And do you feel, do you ever feel like you're consciously making like, a shift like do you ever get the feeling like ugh I've had it with this group for a little while like I need to shift gears and I need to move some of my portfolio over to these other people I, like I don't you, I just, you don't find yeah. yourself like burning out on a certain group of people or anything like that I don't I don't think so I think it may be more the other way around that they get burned out on me right um no I I uh I don't think so I I I enjoy all the all the different, um, yeah, I mean, all the different groups of people that I that I've had the the great fortune of 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 meeting and and uh, and spending time with. I, I I like all of them. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess there are some people who I didn't enjoy so much, but over the years, I've not kept in contact with them. Right. So all the people that I'm currently in contact with are all people that are very valuable to me. I mean, they're obviously everybody's valuable in some way, but they're right, of course. Yeah. They're valued by me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I've even made new friends, which is weird for such an old dude. Um, uh, you know, through playing basketball, which I, I like to do. And right. I've made connections that way. And, um, and you know, they're, they're basketball friends, right? So they're mostly basketball-oriented discussions and activities. But it also is a nice um, niche, I guess. You and... You and Vinay both, but you—you you definitely seem to like. You seem to love playing basketball, right? Yeah. Like you play a couple, few times. What do you love about it? And is it different than what you loved about it when you played it when you were younger? I think it's the same. Um, I—I don't—I don't know that I can. I mean, it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, uh, you know, I've always been a very physical person. When I was a little tiny kid, I would climb trees as high as I possibly could, mm-hmm. uh, or cl- try to climb up cliffs. Okay. Uh, or you know, whatever was in the way, I would, you know, I would try to do those sorts of things. I guess I was more outdoorsy. I wasn't really into sports, sports until but you were I like was 10 years old. I was a very kinetic guy. And, you know, we would, you know, my, my parents, my dad especially would take us hiking when we were little, tiny little kids. And, hmm. and we would try to go as far as we could and as high up as we could and challenge ourselves. And, um, that, that led to us getting lost in the mountains outside of Caracas once for a few hours at the age of nine, but. But yeah, so I was always very physical, and I and I, you know, I have an, an older brother and a younger brother, and my older brother was always, you know, was older by definition, and therefore, you know, stronger. <laughs> sure. What you saying? Uh, no, I mean he was, you know, stronger, faster, better, and and I felt that, uh, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a very competitive thing, not to harm him, but just to be able to keep up with him. Right. Um, and so if he was going to be climbing something, I wanted to climb at least as high as he could. And, mm-hmm. And I was a very good climber. So, and so for people who don't, just to interject, your older brother's how many years older than you? He's not quite two years older than okay. I am. And you have a younger brother who, who is, is not quite two years younger than I am. Okay. So we're about two years apart, yeah, but a little it. bit less. Okay. Um, so we were very close, and 
as I said, you know, we moved around a lot. And so we would have each other as our immediate best friends Mm -hmm. wherever we went. My older brother was really gregarious and good at meeting people and and, and, and starting up and organizing and being the leader of groups of kids. Okay. So it was very easy to, to gain those groups of friends all of a sudden. When we moved uh, to Italy, uh, when I was uh, nine, you know, he, he found us people to go play with. Um, okay. And so we would. Um, you know, and we played soccer a little bit. Um, but I wasn't really athletic until I was maybe in 10 years old or 11 years old. And I started playing basketball. I had no idea what basketball was. I don't know that I paid attention to more than 20 minutes of basketball my whole life until then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I liked it. I liked, I guess, certain goals about it. I liked certain skills in it. And then over the next year, I found that I had, um, you know, some affinity for some of those skills. Right. Um, and so that's that's the fun thing is it you know getting a little bit better being good enough to enjoy it and and being able to get a little bit better mm-hmm. I guess that's what is fun about basketball and even now at my age um, you know I try to challenge myself to do a little bit better the next time and um, that's interesting so were you like a, it sounds like you found in it a thing that you could kind of dig into mm-hmm. and then did you were you like a practice person? Like, did you go out and shoot a hundred free throws or whatever, or did you just? I didn't kind of get um, better by. I just well, I mean, I would do things. I would do certain skills, but I didn't, you know, or, or, or um, I guess yeah, practice certain skills. But I wasn't, I wasn't very organized. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I just loved to play. Right. Um, when I was in uh, in high school on the team, uh, I would just play basketball all the time. And so, you know, I, I I somehow managed to not take very many classes in high school because I went to high school that somehow allowed that, and I still graduated. I'm not sure exactly if the math worked out, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask them. Hopefully they won't ask me at this point. <laughs> yeah, you might be clear of it at this, <laughs> at this point, but okay. But so I would have free from about 2 in the afternoon on, and there was a gym right next to the – so I would go and I'd play basketball for two hours with, you know, other people, and we'd just play and play and play. And then we would go to – Sports practice, which was cross-country running in the fall or track practice in the spring or basketball in the winter, but already having sweat for two hours running around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over the summers, I would play from the moment I woke up, which you know, as a teenager, it would be around 11 in the morning, right? But then we would play until the sun went down, until you couldn't see, um, and just play and play and play. And, and I didn't do layup drills or free throws or anything like right. that. I just played. And my game has always been running slightly faster than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily finishing at the rim, but <laughs> but running faster. And so that's, you know, and, and that's that's what I've done. And, and being able to run longer than other people. Right? So people get tired after three or four hours, and that's when I would say, okay, well, then now I can still run faster. And so then that's when I would really, you know, mm-hmm. dominate. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hmm. So did you like, um, did you like the team part and the competition yeah. stuff? Do you like that stuff? I too? like the team part. I like the competition part. Um, uh, I, I like being part of a team. So I, I ran cross country mm-hmm. and track in high school. And after finishing high school, I never ran again because there wasn't a team to run with. 
There wasn't that so camaraderie. Wasn't it, I, I hated to run, but I liked being on the team and running with the team and Very competing every weekend and trying to do a little bit better, trying to beat that guy on the other team who has a different colored, you know, mm-hmm. whatever we wore, short running shorts and yeah, um, and tank top or whatever. Yeah, we'll get a photo for the. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have a photo. It's not good. <laughs> um, and uh, so that I liked. And on the basketball team to to beat the other team and to play as a team and mm-hmm. um, I I mean I like some of the individual things but I you know even now I, I I get a huge kick out of setting somebody else up to have a good shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I like that part. Now, I, ironically, when we played games with refs in high school, I I, I would I wouldn't play as well. Because I, I felt a higher sense of responsibility that I had to play a more conservative game, which wasn't as good as when I was when we were you know playing pickup games, and I would be much more loose, mm-hmm. not necessarily pistol Pete loose, but you know looser. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would I would I I didn't want to make a I mean I guess I was worried about making mistakes when we were playing for real mm-hmm. with the refs. You tightened up. I tightened up. So did you, what about the part of it where um, the sort of conflict or confrontation that's inherent in that kind of competition? Like, Mm -hmm. were you comfortable with that? You know, like just some kids from another school that you don't know that they're shoving you around out there or whatever. Like, did that bother you or you just enjoyed Um, playing? I hated them (laughs) because they were on the other team, which is. But did you hate that? having to go through that confrontation with them or you didn't mind that part? No, I didn't mind because I actually hated them. (laughs) I mean, they were the opposition. They were the enemy. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous, right? You know, what's kind of funny is that um, not basketball, but but cross country, I I ran into a guy in the last couple of months who I had no idea, right? But he he grew up to um, uh, become a pediatric cardiac surgeon. And so I saw him at some, you know, conference and 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 I was introduced to him because he's a cardiac surgeon, and and but his name sounded vaguely familiar to me, and I, and I said, you know, after it, it sunk in, I said, did did you grow up in you know East Central Illinois? Yeah, well, and I said, well, well, I think we ran against each other in high school. Now this guy was really good; he kicked our ass. I mean, he was way faster than mm-hmm. me. Although our team was better than him because he had he was really fast. But cross country is a team sport, so our team was actually better. I see. Okay. Um, so we actually beat them as a team, but he always beat us, and he went on actually to run. Um, cross country at Michigan, so he had a college cross country career, which is you know, and that's right. a that's an important school. It's not nothing at all. Anyway, so when we were running in high school, I hated the guy because he was the mm-hmm. bad guy, right? And mm-hmm. plus, he was way faster than us, so I hated him for that reason. And then I met him, you know, thirty years later, and he's a sweet guy. He's a nice guy. He, he lives in Peoria. He's a, a you know, he does good things, and 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 we reminisced about what it meant to be to run back then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because at the time, I, you know, I can admit now that I hated those guys, but I, I, the concept of running and running with my team anyway, and this is what he was talking about. You know, he, he went on to have a career at Michigan and, and now he has kids and he coaches his kids and, and people are saying, oh, you ran at Michigan. That must have been great, you know, uh, to win and to this and that. And, he, and what he remembers most, and he was more of a runner than I was, is really, you know, the, the fun of having the team and the camaraderie and that sort of yeah. thing. And it, it just reminded me of... That sort of fun. Um, nice, nice shot. Yeah, there. I'm placing some pieces here while we talk. Um, and uh, 
so th- that's what I appreciate. The, the, the team, mm-hmm. the, yeah. being part of a team, contributing to the team, mm-hmm. helping the team do better. That was, that's really what's been the most fun. And, you know, I, I'm not on a team now. I, I get together with people and we play pickup games. And so each, each, each time we play, it's a different team, right? It just happens to be these five guys. Right. Um, so there's not so much of that sense, although in that, on that day, you know, that, that team sense for that day, you know, I, I'm loyal to my team. But um, at that point, really, there is a competition of trying to beat the other team. And, and I guess maybe, you know, if I am going to be honest, I, I hate the other team even now. Although, you know, later in the morning as people come and go or whatever and we have to re-shuffle re, uh, up the teams, then now I, I love them. It's like Rodman, right? We hated him and then we loved him. That's right. That's right. So maybe it's some of that. That's right. Um, do you think we never love Lambeer, though, right? No, no never. Okay. That's unlovable. Sorry. Um, do you think that's something that you get out of your job now, too? That kind of team? Yeah, thing? I do. Uh, and so when we do a good job, um, it it's clear that it's because the team did a very good job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to think that I contribute individually to the team, right? Uh, and I come up with some good ideas that end mm-hmm. up actually mattering, um, and and that's great. But obviously, the execution of any idea requires uh, a lot of teamwork, team effort, and so um, I recognize that, and I value that, and I and I love that, mm-hmm. um, and so. Yeah, I like the I like the team thing. I, I I'm much more of a team guy than an individual achievement guy. Mm-hmm. Um, now you know in 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 instantaneous moments when I'm playing basketball or when I'm at work, uh, you know I I guess I am a competitive person. I I in that moment of me you know trying to shoot over another guy and making yeah. it, there's a little bit of individual pride in having done that. Mm-hmm. Or at work. There's a challenging thing, and I come up with, you know, this is this is a good idea, and I came up with it, and so I have this internal pride of having come up with a good idea. Mm-hmm. But it's really a very momentary thing. Um, if at the end of the game, for example, I played well but my team lost, I'm bummed. Mm-hmm. If I played so-so and my team won, I'm, I'm happier. And at work, if I came up with a good idea but it didn't really pan out well or we didn't do it i'm more bummed than if i didn't necessarily have a good idea but at, at the end of the day things turned out better than than how they started right then I'm, I'm more pumped right that makes sense i mean it seems like i have a little bit of a nascent hypothesis but that i think you and, and vin to an extent you have a um Right, there's that sort of competitiveness, but it's more uh, within yourself. Right? Yeah, although and I have that, to say that, that my, my favorite competition playing basketball is Vinay. There's, <laughs> there's nothing more fun to me in terms of basketball than playing against one-on-one against Vinay. Right. Um, and I, I don't know why. I mean, our games are slightly different. Our, our, the quality of our game is comparable enough that we can play each other. You know, if we go back and do the math, he's probably won three-fourths of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when I've won, I've won better. 
Um, so, That's good stuff. <laughs> when, so, but yeah, that, that my favorite, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, we're just such great friends and right, I love him, you know, I love him as much as anyone else in the world. And, right. And so it's just, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Right. And the trash talking is great too. Of course. Right. That's the best part. Well, for those of for us that, that yeah. get to watch it, that's <laughs> the best. But I think, but I guess I was thinking like in terms of work, like you seem to be a, I don't know what word to use. Driven could be the wrong word, but but certainly a motivated person about that stuff, but not necessarily to supersede another person or to get certain kinds of recognition, but to to do the thing and to have the work turn out right. Because I think there's a way to yeah. be very team oriented, but also you know sort of individually. Um, you know, motivated or driven or whatever. Yeah, the right word I mean, is. I, I, I don't really feel good. I mean, I just said that you know, if my team wins and I played okay, I, I'm, I'm happy. But I, I guess what I really mean by that is that if I did as well as I could in those circumstances, but my contributions didn't turn out to be the most important contributions. Yeah. Right. So if I do a terrible job, I mean, if I have a bad Saturday morning and don't play basketball very well, you know, whatever, I'll get over it. I'll play again on Sunday. Mm-hmm. At work. I'm not quite as satisfied. So if I have a bad day where I didn't do good things, I'm, I'm bummed. But, um, but if I, you know, if I contribute well enough, but somebody else's contributions ended up being more important that day. And we end up, you know, if I, if I, if I have an A plus effort and a solid, you know, a, you know, Mm-hmm. achievement mm-hmm. and somebody else gets an a plus and and gets the 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 momentary applause i'm good with that right that's that's great in fact i think things work better in 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 group type of uh activities like my job yeah when it does switch around who is the the primary contributor what right if it's always Bushler? right right exactly john paxson won it for them one year sure um the guy who uh, with the bad back, who's now the coach for the Golden State Warriors, uh, the, the guy with the Cut, red. Right? No, 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 no. He was another outside shooter guy. Whatever, okay. his name will come to me later. Oh, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, right? Yeah, yeah. So, right, it has to. Yeah, I think it works best when, you know, when 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 different people get to be the lead, not necessarily be the leader, but be the lead contributor. Yeah. Um. It you know it keeps the other side. You know, honest. Obviously, there's not really another side in my mm-hmm. work, but it keeps the whole team more cohesive, rather than just one person who everybody always looks to for the lead. Right? right. Going back to the basketball analogy, when Jordan was the only player who knew what to do, the other four guys were watching him. You're not going to win games that way. Mm-hmm. When he had more teammates who still watched him, but also ran alongside with him. You know, yeah. when they had Pippen, the most overrated player in the history of the oh, NBA. Boy. Oh boy, that's an ex- that's a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> but at least he he did have some game. I mean, he right. you know, um, so so that helped. That you know, uh, you know, occasionally, um, somebody else contributed. I mean, it is remarkable. You know, some some of these other players, and and the fact that Jordan was always the MVP on his team, whereas many other teams, very good teams, you know, it rotates around. Right. But that's that's sort of a unique thing because of the quality of his game, not necessarily the quality of his character. So for people who don't, 
who, who are listening who don't know, um, explain what your job is, what your day job is. My day job is a uh, neonatologist. So, so I'm a, it's intensive care um, for babies. And they're mostly, are they mostly preemies? Is that a fair um, characterization or is that not probably, quite? It's probably 50-50. Okay. Um, but it's any, it's any newborns any newborn that need care? Any who's not quite right. Okay. Um, and so some of them are born very prematurely. Some are born mm-hmm. with, um, you know, some congenital abnormality. Mm-hmm. Some are born and become injured at the time of birth for all sorts of reasons, not enough oxygen or a bad infection or things like that that can, okay. you know, make them be quite ill, quite stressed. And so we, in the intensive care unit, in t- neonatal intensive care unit, we take care of them and, and do, you know, work with a bunch of folks like surgeons or other specialists. But we manage the intensive care part of okay. their illness. So do you think that that has anything to do with um, do you think that has any effect on the sort of individual competitive streaks that people might have because that's a fairly high stakes situation right so you on some level I guess I'm thinking well of course you shouldn't be worrying about your individual glory you should be worrying about whether this baby survives or not but I'm I, I'm sure that there is not that doesn't necessarily um, mitigate all interpersonal competition and shenanigans. And yeah, stuff, there are douchebags at my work. Absolutely, <laughs> if that's what you're getting at. I mean, there are people right. who, right? Uh, and, and obviously, there you think there it aren't, mitigates. Um, no, I don't think it does. Dynamic. No, you know I, that's a great question. I don't think it does. I think it, it, it could in some ways, but it actually enhances douchebaggery mm-hmm. in other ways, right? So. It's a self-selected group that goes into what I do, whether it's the doctors and nurses or anyone. Right. On the one hand, there there's an element of do-gooderiness, right? There's also uh, an element of. Um, and when you say that, you mean genuine people who want to provide, you know, pr- you know, uh, reach out to other human beings and and help them, and and that's you know everybody has some of that, um, yeah. and everybody has some you know capitalistic. Uh, you know, uh, this is this is going to be a, a, a good-paying job, and uh, with uh, job security and this and that, and so I, I want that for myself and for my family. Um, there's also the part of, you know, it's intellectually challenging, and so I get to demonstrate that I'm smarter than someone else. So there's that, you know, intellectual capitalism that comes from that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think all of that happens, and we all have all of those characteristics, and how we balance them is, you know, what what makes each of us slightly unique and, and different. Um, and so there are people who are more along the, you know, so, so some of the things that really bother me in my field, um, and this is true all over the world, so I'm not outing somebody from my particular job, but there are people who, and I think this is true for outside of medicine too, um, is people who are leaders or are in charge of something and want to do a very good job. And when they leave, um, are, are, you know, and, and the program doesn't do, you know, is going to either do the same, not do as well, or do better. And there are some people who actually prefer for the program to not do as well when sure. they leave because that demonstrates how important they were. Right. Um, and that, that speaks to their internal competitiveness rather than their sense of 
growing the program. Mm -hmm. And so I, I sort of hope that I go away, perhaps not fully anonymously, but <laughs> right. you want to be. I mean, I want to right. be a little bit, you know. Of course, but you want to be missed, I, but you don't want to. I don't want to be anonymous, but I also don't. I want. I want the program to to be able to stand on its own because I did the right things right. and I did the right job in you helping prepare. It to be the thing. Quite as fun or quite as cool without you. Well, it can't possibly be right. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I yeah, right. I, so that I, I think sense. that, but I the, so so I think that that sort of view. Um, and and how much of the glory to take, and how much, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's there's a range of how people do that, and and I think it speaks to just human nature. Some people wanting to be right. the man, and some people wanting the success to be, you know, mm -hmm. w what is highlighted, mm -hmm. and you know. People in medicine are humans first, and then they happen to be people in medicine. So, right, um, our humanness will come out, which is a good thing. I think that humanity is—it's all we got. So, do you? Um, I, this, I imagine, is a difficult thing to parse. But, like, how much of uh, your job do you feel like is your identity um yeah no, that's a yeah i like that question and we've talked about this a little bit and 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 you have taught me a lot um about the job sometimes getting away in the way of the identity of people and so your approach and it, it seems you know often is to actually try to minimize job talk when you meet new people right, oh, right. or yeah, not right. ask them, you, you've told no, me this, the, the, that, right. you never lead with that. In fact, you try to avoid it as long as possible so you can bring out the else, mm -hmm. right? Yes, right. <laughs> if we can go back to that. Yeah, well um, said. And I think that that is uh, really valid and interesting. I, I think that what I do is such a huge part of who I am mm -hmm. and you know, of course, I'm me and you've known me for a while, so I'm going to say that it's the right way for it to be that way, mm -hmm. right? That it should be an important part of who I am, mm -hmm. in part because of what it is that I do. And so I can't really ever walk away. Um, I mean, I can come here and puzzle. I can talk crap. But right. but, but it is, I think it, it does define me to some extent, which is interesting because before I did what I was doing, before, before, Mm -hmm. it clearly wasn't a part of my identity. Right. I had no idea that I was going to go to medical school until Vinay got up one day and said, I'm going to go get application for the MCAT test. And Larry and I said, oh, w will you pick us up a copy each? I mean, that's that's how I went to med school. Because you, you really think you hadn't thought about it before then? I had some vague thoughts, but it wasn't. I, I, I had never, I had never actually taken a step towards going to medical school until our senior year <clears throat> in college, when okay. Vinay went out to go get his application. If he'd gone, if he was going to go to business school, I might have followed him to business school. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, probably not quite that, but you know, it was not part of my identity. So the fact that it has become my identity is sort of an, I think it's an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. Right, because there's questions in there about can you grow into anything right. and immerse yourself and all that stuff. I, but um, I think some of this intellectual competitiveness, because when I was seven years old, I would 
I was I was very intellectually competitive. Like when we had to do those multiplication things in two minutes or whatever, I was hyper competitive within myself. Right. Um, and I, I was trying to figure out a smarter, better way to do the math problems mm-hmm. or do the geometry problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I came up with a new way of adding vectors when I was in high school or junior high or something because I was competitive against the textbook. Mm-hmm. Apparently in, in 10th grade, I'm going to claim I don't remember this, but um, the math teacher was giving, you know, <laughs> was writing some theorem on the board and, you know, we're all there not really paying attention. And, and I guess I, I said, you know, I, I can do it faster to the, to the teacher. I can do it in two steps less. Mm-hmm. And so the guy who was a decent enough guy said, all right, we'll come up here. And so I did it. And he kind of scratched his head and said, I'm going to have to think about it. And then the next day he came back and told the class, you know, Porter was right. You could do it better. And, and you know. Stand by. It was uh, it was really not so much about that story, but but the fact that I, I was I wanted to do it better, right? This again, this intellectual competitiveness that I have that I, I. Right. So it. It's not about showing. No, it's about showing myself up. I guess. I you know I, I I'm, I'm and you know even now I'm still constantly wanting to, um, to do better today than I did yesterday. Yeah, I, I you know I, I when I. When I try to inspire, you know, the, the, the younger generation to march along and, you know, there's a common sense to do the best you can. And I think that that's okay in most things that are done. Um, but what I try to challenge these people is that that really isn't enough. It's not enough to do the best you can. What you have to do is work hard so that your best gets better every day. Because anybody can say, well, I tried my hardest. But mm-hmm. if all you can achieve is okay, yeah. then then that's not, uh, you know, you, you haven't really tried hard enough. Now, I've, people have come back and said, well, what if, what if your best is outstanding? <laughs> and then <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. okay. it's kind of funny. Um, and, and I know for – What if I'm great? What if I'm already great? Um, well, then I think that you need you still need to you know extend your horizons and become greater or great at something else as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like you know really anything else. If if un, un, unless you're continuously moving forward, you're probably actually going backwards. Well, how do you? that piece goes there i might just put that down but i think that might be totally wrong um how do you uh try to get better at things whether it's work or otherwise like what are you in in you like in a practical sense like what do you try to get better at in, in the last year or something what have you tried to get better at and how do you do it um i've tried to get better at communicating Mm-hmm. Um, in the last year, I mean, I've been trying this actually for many years. Um, I, I'm I'm annoyed at myself for not having paid attention in high school or college, um, 
in English class or rhetoric or okay. all those humanities that I blew off because I, I thought they... For wusses? Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> um, so, you know, becoming a better communicator. And so I think that how I do that or how I try to do that is by um, paying attention to what I say and then paying attention to the response that I get from people and being more aware of when they're looking at me like I'm a douche. Mm-hmm. So um, when it, like when it's working and when it's not working? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that I guess that I'm, I'm trying to be better at sharing what I'm thinking so that it's clear and people don't get confused and think, oh, you know, Nick said this and, and when I actually didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also clarity in terms of, you know, talking with, you know, families of patients at work um, so that they really can appreciate what I'm trying to say um, so that it can be most helpful to them and their kids. Or Do you think that stuff is more about the technical stuff? Uh, like when you're communicating with, with uh, families at work, would you think it's about the the clarity of the technical information you're conveying or do you think it's about conveying the proper emotional stuff to them? I like, think what it's do you think? Both. Yeah. It depend well it depends on the audience, right? But I think it can be both. So with families I think it's both. And but but the first part or the second part, I can't remember now anymore because <laughs> one of the parts. But one of those parts is easier in that the technical part takes limited effort. You just have to remember to speak in English. Right. Um, as opposed to medical ease. As opposed to medical ease and getting bogged down in details because they're easy, it's easier to talk about details than talk mm-hmm. about, you know, then and this is, you know, I don't want to be too much of a downer, but if the kid is, if there's some patient who is in really bad shape, right? Um, but a certain blood test that we've been all watching along the way among the 20 blood tests that we're doing looks a little bit better, I, I don't think it's it's useful to focus on that. Right, right. Um but so so that part of the content, I think it's it's it is a matter of practicing and not getting flustered, um, and not um, getting uh, intimidated by the by the topic, right? So being intimidated by bad news and all sure. those things. But but the the other part to me is more challenging because I think I've appreciated that you know get to the point. Um, but the other part of of making sure that. They're a, you know the, the people are able to hear what I'm saying because they haven't become overwhelmed, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the, a recent conversation, you know, I, I shared some important news and and it you know the, the, it was it was news to them, right? It wasn't something that they knew, yeah, and okay. um, and and I had to be clear and blunt, but then I I had to go back a little while later, and I guess I didn't have to, but it felt like it could be helpful to continue that relationship to say to them, I'm, to apologize essentially for possibly having been insensitive. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it gets at the, what you were saying of, you know, is, is the, the emotion behind it. And, right. And I think that recognizing the emotion and being able to, the other part of it that I think that, um, that I've learned from, uh, I have, I've had over my career, some, some really good mentors who, have shared with me some important um, piece of advice on, on communicating uh, in professionally, you know, in, in what I do. Um, and 
you know, the idea of learning from, you know, listening to other people and and recognizing the language that they're using, the words that they're using, yeah. and use them back. And I, I bet of the sure. three people that are going to listen to this, five of them will say, duh, isn't that just... But but I've learned it recently, <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited by it because I learned it recently. Right. Well, it sounds like there's, there's the part of it... Um, of communicating and, and paying attention to the the person's the other person's emotional reaction, like their response to your thing, but it also seems like in your work there would be the an element of making sure you convey the facts with the right yeah. kind of emotional tone or weight. Because I think there's a way to say something that makes that cues people to feel well. There are just I think cues that go with communication so you could tell them something and they might not know exactly how to interpret technically but they're watching you to be like is this something i'm supposed to get scared by or is this something i'm supposed to not worry about or no i think that's right clarifying to people kind of like here's what your reaction should probably be even though yeah their own reaction i think that's right and and so to and and the other thing i think that is helpful to to try to help people who are stressed is to normalize their stress and say of course you know this is stressful I see. because right. it is stressful sort of acknowledge that and 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 so you know you're stressed and 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 it's reasonable for you to be stressed and my job is to help right. make things better so that you can become less stressed and yeah. um so yeah i think that there's a lot of that a lot to that um in in talking to people and communicating so when with people. you like early on let's say it, when you're working, did you find it to be um, like was that a difficult part of the job to be like I have to go out there and tell these people yeah. that their babies not going to do well? Um, I, 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 yes, um, partly because as I said, and by the way, um, in the last half an hour, you've probably put down forty pieces, and I think I put down one. Well, you're you're focused. Yeah. Um. I'm barely paying attention. A lot of it is <laughs> a lot of it is um what I've sort of described this confidence or intimidation by the topic. Right? So when I knew less, when I had seen less, um it was a lot harder. Um mm-hmm. and it was more intimidating and I and I, you know, I honestly might have I probably did in fact avoid um putting myself out there to to be able to talk with folks. Um about right. what's going on, right? Um, wh- whoever those folks might be, whether there's families or, you know, nurses or whatever. Um, and, and you know, but with experience, you you you've seen it before, and so then you can't say. I, I remember very vividly after my first daughter was born, um, having dramatically more confidence in talking with families about things that weren't, you know, life or death. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of times people would go into the emergency room because their kid has a cold and it still has a cold five days later and they're all snotty and they're miserable and they're not sleeping. And and I, I had this awareness at some point that I sounded like a complete tool before I had a kid, which is not to say that people who don't have kids can't be fantastic providers. Right. But I remember after I had a kid where I could say, yeah, it's tiring, isn't it? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, just give him some, you know, Tylenol or whatever, and he'll be better. 
and people looked at me and you know now in retrospect I, I i recognize they were looking at me like why did i even bother to come here so this 17 year old kid <laughs> can tell me to do what i've already been doing uh, right. you know does this guy not realize what it is that I need? And they may not have even realized what they needed, but I certainly wasn't providing it. Mm-hmm. But this sense of I've been there was helpful. Now the I've been there, you know, for the more complicated conversations doesn't apply because I've never been there. Right. I've not been in, in, in the shoes of sure. any of my patients or their families, which is fantastic. I'm, I'm grateful for that. Right. But when I do talk to folks, I tell them I've never been in your shoes Ever, but I've been in my shoes many, many, many times, and I've seen people in your shoes many, many times, mm-hmm. and so these are the sorts of things that are that people often worry about when they're in this position, mm-hmm. and this is what I worry about when I've been in my position before, mm-hmm. and I find that that, um, in some in some cases, that can be, I think, sort of helpful. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think there is that. I don't know. I, don't, I think that there's a balance there, and there's um, a middle ground for people where you don't have to necessarily have had a specific experience in order to communicate well about it or to be, you know, relatable talking about it. Yeah, but so I think forth. you have to but, have some experience with it. It doesn't have to be the exact same experience, right. but you have to have. You have to be able to draw on recognizing what the issue is, either because you read about it enough times and you have it solidly in your head, or you paid attention when people told you this can happen, or you saw it, or you can envision or or extrapolate from something that was that but is different enough but still shift enough experience or information or knowledge to to clarify where it is that what the current situation is. Yeah. It seems, I mean, I think there's also the part where it seems like for example, for you in that situation, like stuff that is so novel and sort of shocking or whatever to a family or patient is, You've seen it a billion times. You know, it's like people who are, you know, nervous, but understandably before a surgery. Mm-hmm. And for them, it's a big deal because it's the first and only time they're having X surgery done. But for the surgeon, you're one of three cases he's got that day and, you know, nine to 12 cases or whatever it is he's got that week. And 2000 he's done over the last 10 years. And so it's, it's, just not that big a deal. Not that they don't yeah. take it seriously or whatever, but like that's their job. You know, like a someone who works at a bank, it's like a big deal to you to walk in with your briefcase of a million dollars, but they move a million dollars right. around every yeah. morning. So, I mean, I think that seems like that's got to be a tricky Yeah, I think that's right, right? To kind of stay so in you... tune to the fact that, you know, because if you're in the middle of a day and you've got hassles or whatever, you're at a job, right? Everybody's at a job. And for you to... You know, it seems like that would be a tricky thing to kind of yeah, stay in tune I, I think that's right. One of the things that is is kind of neat about my job, and the most intellectually challenging part of my job is n- not the majority of my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have 
very uh, emotionally challenging with no intellectual challenge parts mm-hmm. of my job. Mm-hmm. And, and these are actually the least sick of our patients. Mm. So these are newborns who are f- mostly fine, but not routine, normal babies. Babies who are slightly premature, who don't okay. quite drink their milk as well as they should, or whose breathing is slightly irregular, or who, you know, uh, might have an infection but aren't really that sick. And so for those for those patients who look exactly like a baby but there's a little bit something off, um, that can be emotionally very challenging to these families as well, right? And and for some people who th- it's out of their normal, therefore it must be a tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, th- it, it isn't a tragedy. Right. I mean, it's not a medical tragedy. Right. It certainly is an emotional tragedy, right? For nine months, you're waiting for your baby to come out, and it's all going to be great, and you've, you know, looked at the Norman Rockwell pictures, and, <laughs> and you're, you know, your 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 uh, your friends and your, you know, uh, in your cul-de-sac, you know, are all having babies and whatever, and so that's your expectation. And right. then you get thrown off because your baby is born a few weeks early and can't drink um, his or her milk. Mm-hmm. And so you need to figure out a way, I need to figure out a way to help them get past that. And I remember a story that I often tell that this is from years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Um, one of these such babies was born. And um, she, the baby was brought to our unit and some of the you know trainees had done the most of the work, right? I was overseeing, but they had done most right. of the work and they had done everything that had to be done because there were three things that had to be done. And they did them. And then it's a matter of monitoring and waiting for the results to come back. Um, and so I let them do their thing without stepping on their toes because they know what they had to do. And then I went to go talk to the family because the mom was there because I thought that that's my job. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I go and I introduce myself and I say, you know, I, I know you've talked with the other doctors here, but, you know, is there anything I can do for you? And, or do you understand what's going on? And she said, or did they explain what was going on? And she said, yeah, no, they, they explain everything. It sounds like you guys don't know what's going on. Interesting. And and my 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 immediate response in my own head was that that couldn't be further from the truth. We know exactly what's going on. Your kid's not sick. But your kid is going to be fine. Right. But there's a there's a minor uncertainty that we there's a minor possibility of this baby actually having an infection. Of all the kids who looked exactly like that, yeah, one in a hundred actually are sick. So we had, we take care of all of them as though they're that one, so mm-hmm. that we don't miss that one. Mm-hmm. But we know exactly that ninety nine percent of the chance, ninety nine percent of the time, that right. kid's fine. Right. So whoever it was who talked to this mom didn't ex- explained it, or didn't explain it adequately for her anyway to understand that we knew exactly that we see this five times a day and we always get it right. Yeah. Interesting. And so I think it gets at this idea of, of helping families normalize their struggle, right? Because you know, you go there, your kid's not quite right. And then you hear from somebody, we don't know what's going on, or at least that's what you understand from them. That makes it worse as opposed to, I've seen this, Tons of, we do this all the time. We see this, and I, I have to tell you that that's something that I see a change in people's faces. The most dramatic change in people's faces that I see when I'm working yeah. is when I say, we actually see this many times a day. 
and then that alleviates. And and but you're at, at some point it do, it can't sound like you know we do this all the time. Whatever you're just one more. I don't really care about you. Right. Right. So so you have to balance that. We see this all the time. Your baby's special to you guys, and this is a fantastic kid, and we're going to help him become that too. Yeah. But you're in good hands. It sounds like one of the things there is a, a difference between we you know the the thing you mentioned like we may not know whether your kid is in the 99 or the one but we know what to do yeah. right we know what we're going to do the play is the same either way here's the play and either way we're going to get it right because either your kid's going to shake out to be in the 99 and and we've got a path to that or your kid's the one and if that's true we're going to catch it and that's also going to come out right. fine it's just a different set of steps it's the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals in the first quarter. Yeah, and we're gonna and so we don't know who's gonna win, but it's gonna be the Harlem Globetrotters. And we're gonna do the bit with the bucket, but it won't be water. Right. We've done this every single city across the United States. Right, and you know, so you're not gonna get wet. Right, right. Yeah, we it may there may be a slightly different. Maybe you'll get more confetti in your soda pop. Maybe you'll get less. I, I don't know. I mean, there's some things like that, right? Right. And and obviously, it's not the same because your kid is not with you. And there's a, there certainly is a, a sense of grief of your baby not being in the same room with you. So we have to address all those things, too. But in yeah. terms of the likelihood of medical success, it, it it's almost guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Especially for the babies who don't look sick. I mean, there's babies who come out and they look sick. That's a different story. But we have a bunch of these who don't look sick. But have a minor infection, and when and when then when we treat it, they're all good anyway, right? So the question is, do you need to be in the hospital for two days or for ten days? But either way, you're going to come either out. Either way, you're going to be, be fine. fine, right? Right, but but you're not, you know, you're not going home at two days, uh, and then you know the 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 nursing, and then the baby shower, and then you know all, all the stuff that is in the movies. That so a lot of that seems right. I'm sure, especially with newborn babies right there aren't a lot of things that have more expectations bundled with them right right, right. it seems like a lot of well it's a, you know it's a magical thing it's 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 the miracle of birth and 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 you know these babies i mean come on they're they're beautiful they're 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 perfect they're they're everybody's it, it's 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 among the proudest accomplishments for many people for most people right and so you don't want that to be thrown off. Right. And it's terrifying, right? Because this is a big project that you embarked on. That's right. Whether in, initially, intentionally or not, right? Oops, I got pregnant. But at some point, it becomes, you know, this important project. And then it's threatened. Right? Yeah. And then, so there's it's threatened medically, but also it throws up. And, you know, we have a handful of people who have very specific plans for their birth. Right, Sure. Right, where <laughs> the baby's going to come out, and it's the the dad will then call out the, whether the boy the baby's a boy or a girl, and if somebody else says it, you've ruined our delivery. And then somebody's going to chant something, and then the dad's going to cut the cord, and the baby's going to go straight to the mom's breast, and she's going to breastfeed for thirty minutes, and nobody's you know all, people come up with all these plans, and yeah, occasionally things don't go as scripted. Interesting. Um, but, but even without that level of scripting, most people still have some sense that 
Yeah. You know, it should be, which is funny because in this country, almost all babies are born in hospitals. There's some shifts. Some people have these birthing centers or even some people are deliver their babies at home. Mm -hmm. But the overwhelming majority of the 4 million babies that are born every year in the United States are born in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, But people don't want to medicalize that too much. But they want to be there just in case. (laughs) Right. That's right. That's right. Right. Um, and you know, there's, people there's don't a, want the people don't want the federal government, but they want to have highways and they want <laughs> telecommunication systems and they want to watch TV and call Oregon. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so you think? It, I assume it's gotten. You feel like it's gotten easier than over time talking yeah. to the. It's gotten easier because families. I've gotten. I think I've gotten better at it. I've done it more. I'm more comfortable with it. And the truth is that it's sort of become uh, among my favorite parts of the job mm-hmm. is to communicate with people. Um, partly it has to do with it. it is intellectually challenging mm-hmm. to communicate effectively. Uh, I think another part of it is um, that... You know, I don't get out much, and so that's my opportunity to talk to people. <laughs> and so um, that's my social out. Uh-huh. Um, no, I, I, I think that, you know, the the, hum, the human part of it, the humanity part, right, of being able to actually contribute to the improve, improvement in, in, in other human beings' um, state. And so dr- with the patients directly, you know, we prescribe antibiotics – some medication or we make sure that they're getting, you know, mm-hmm. good nutrition or, you know, whatever it is for their baby or, you know, uh, respiratory breathing support. Or, but for the for the parents, I think helping them in a human way is to hold their hand and, and have them be less stressed about the fact mm-hmm. that they're in the hospital and they've been in, their kid's been in the hospital for three months and is going to be in the hospital for another three months or right. whatever it is. Um and not jump off a bridge, right? Right, because I'm actually surprised at how I'm amazed at how um, my fellow human beings can cope with the stuff that that I see. Yeah, I can um, imagine, right? It really is uh, how resilient people are is is amazing. And you know, people have different coping skills, and some people, you know, uh, uh, complain. Some people, you know, actually take breaks from showing up to the hospital. Some people yell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some people just say yes to everything, even though they're terrified on the inside. I mean, people do, you know, we all do what we do when we're stressed out right. and we cope the way we can. Um, but, but we tend not to, um, or most people tend to figure out a way to cope in a way that allows them to continue to get through it. Yeah. Despite, you know, extreme pressure and, and the fact that there is a high risk of things not turning out well. Um, and an important number of times when, when, when things in fact don't turn out well and, um, and, and the consequences are, are huge. Yeah, that's right. But, but right. cause along with those, you know, the expectations we're talking about, right. Comes a lot of disappointment when things go yeah, off the and, rails. And- right. And so one thing is that that baby, instead of being in the hospital for two days, is in the hospital for 10 days, and that's a huge disappointment. Or it could be that the kid who, um, you know, started, you know, earlier that day or earlier that week, you know, was 
having norm, mom was having normal labor and everything was fine. And then, you know, two weeks later, we're talking about this baby not, not surviving. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's all sorts of differences in the magnitude of the consequence. But, but nonetheless, the, the, the shift in stress and, um, is, it's, it's a lot. It can be a lot. Sure. So you've, I mean, the, maybe not every case and every day, but there's a certain, I mean, there's, there's life and death stuff going on there. Um, what is your, has that affected your take on how the world works or how the universe works? Like, I mean, I think you're, so uh, just for people who don't know, so your take on what happens to, to human beings after they die is what? You know, I don't know. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a fascinating question that I love thinking about. I love exploring. I often get myself in trouble when I talk to other human beings about it because <laughs> I tend to say things that are not quite as well-received as, as I think they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but the honest truth is I have no idea. Um, I have no reason to believe that all that is left of human beings is their memory. Um, I have no reason to believe um, that there is a soul, for example. Um, although there is something, right? Because we 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 believe that we exist. We believe that we're individual, and and that has to be more than than the collection of molecules that make us up. But that's all sort of faith and and conjecture and things like that. To some people, the faith is so strong that they can't conceive of it being any other way. And the story of being actually somewhere with my person, if Mm -hmm. not my molecules, is as plausible as anything else. Mm -hmm. From a practical standpoint, to just boil down what I think, you know, my my grandfather, all three of my grandparents, although I probably was closest with my grandfather, my mom's dad, um... You know, he's around, he's alive in that he's, you know, in my memory. And and so, you know, I, I used to simplify that heaven and hell, heaven is when you were a good enough person that most people think of you fondly, and hell is you're a douchebag like Hitler and nobody, even your mom, doesn't like you, right? And And so that's what you get is that, right? Just nothing but negative memory of you. Mm-hmm. That's hell. You know, fire, a guy with the horns and the pitchfork, I don't know, right? Um, so so that's that's what I think. I, I have, But I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to, to these people after they die? It, I, it, it's a weird thing to see people die. Um, it's weird. Um, and I, I've seen many people die. I, I, I certainly don't know how many. But it's always weird. It's always weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the perception of a presence in people in the room. I've never personally felt that. I'm convinced that people have felt that. Um, there's a lot of placebo that makes us feel things or see things or you know, know that things are. Um, and um, 
but but I, I on the one hand it's terribly sad it's always sad but i always feel that it's an, an incredible privilege to see that moment um because i believe that there has to be something in that moment to learn and sometimes i don't necessarily know what i've learned but cumulatively um you know the moment of birth is pretty dramatic although obviously the person was that fetus was alive before now when they actually have become a person is something that you know lawyers and you know politicians are arguing about and i think philosophically it's a much more interesting argument although that one's harder to have um but when they and when their life ends is fairly clear at least as well as we understand it um, in, in that way, right? So if there's a soul that then continues to exist that the rest of us can't see or don't mm-hmm. really sense, I suppose that that's not then the important moment, and maybe there's another important moment. I have no idea. Right. Um, but so I think it's a fantastic privilege to see that moment. It's also a privilege to be part of that collective experience with the other people who are there. Um, I often feel that I don't really belong I mean, this is a family who I've either just met or I've known for at most months. Right. Maybe a year, right? And I don't really know them except through the interactions that I've had with them, you know, because of work. And, you know, some people you get to to, to, to know, know really well, but they're not your friends. They're not, you know, your people. And so I – and usually people are grateful for my having – been there though they they tell me that anyway um but it still feels weird like i don't in in many cases like i'm sort of um inserting myself in something that i don't deserve to have witnessed as such an important moment i've yet to be fully informed but but it has helped me think a lot of these thoughts that i have which, as I said, I, I think that this is among the most interesting topics. Um, and so I I, I do um, enthusiastically like to think about it. And so having opportunities that allow me to think further about it, I think, is, mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, why do you hate the music of Van Morrison? Um. You know, I, I I think that what I hate is <laughs> I like some of his songs. I, I guess I hate the importance that it's been given. I see. Um, uh, I, you know, I like the horns. Um, <laughs> I, I like the melody. I, I guess I don't really like his voice. Mm-hmm. He has a nice voice. It's not that he has a bad voice. He has a nice voice, but I, I don't like it. Yeah. I was thinking about maybe because he's Irish. No. There you go. That's uh, <laughs> nice. I think I like Irish yeah, people. For the record, I, I don't about, mind Irish people. Yeah, we'll we'll sift through that mail. Um, <laughs> did you have? Did you have? Favorite? I had a boss. Go ahead. Um, who I still know, and he's a very nice guy, and and I work with him for. I've known him for years and years. Yep. When I was a resident training, he was ahead, right? He was further along, and so he was sort of in charge. And, and I remember one day he went on some tangent. We were rounding on patients, and he went on some tangent and talked about 
you know, he was making fun of me for my Italian background. And he was saying, yeah, the Italian kids, you know, they were always beating up the Irish kids. He was an Irish kid. And mm. so all these Italian kids always, you know, messing around and beating up the Irish kids and 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 suggesting that that was somehow a sign that the Italian kids were were bad or stupid or or weak or something. And it seemed to me that that, that story didn't necessarily make the Irish kids look any better. <laughs> Uh, did you have a favorite band when you were younger? Like, were you a kid who, like, oh, this is I love this band when you were in, you know, I don't um, know high school or something? I like was that, never was really, really I was never really a very musical guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I facetiously have said that you know, if if there was no music, I might not notice for a while. Um, and 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 obviously, I don't really believe that because I think that what's most important in in, in humanity is not not so much health because humanity's been around a lot longer than health has been around but you know uh creativeness um and that's really what that's a, an important characteristic that differentiates us from other beings mm-hmm. um so i i think that music is great but i i don't know that i i, I like music i don't know that i had i don't really know anything about music you know i i, I know one lyric and that's happy birthday um, but, but having said that, I, I mean, I, when I was very young, I, I liked the Beatles. Who doesn't, right? Um, except Mick Jagger, maybe. <laughs> um, by the way, Mick Jagger and I have the same birthday, so I, I'm torn there, right? Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, he's a couple years older than I am. Um, and, uh, I liked, uh, you know, I liked a lot, um, uh, and and it's it's interesting because I have more reason perhaps to like him, but Stevie Wonder. Okay. Um, I got a kick out of the the the. I guess the funk and the uh, the, the sort of pre disco stuff that he did, and again with the horns. Yeah, superstition and yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it turns out that Stevie Wonder is blind because he was born prematurely, and he was giving given oxygen after birth. To that. treat his prematurity, and that made him blind. Hmm. I did not know uh-huh. that. It all ties back. It ties back. Um, and you know, I, I like so I like you know funk. I you know I at the time I was not as much a fan of punk music. Mm-hmm. My little brother was a big fan of punk music. Um, but I think that I, I was not because I thought I shouldn't, but secretly I kind of did like <laughs> punk music. Um, well, yeah. My favorite concert ever in the whole world, I've been to seven, right? So it's not that many, yeah. but um, was to see um, the Ramones in uh, in London. Um, and it was just... Did you mention? I, <laughs> I went there just for the concert. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, I've been... <laughs> um and uh you know so i you know that the 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 rawness of just power music yeah um without necessarily even a melody um is fun to me just the the right there's an, the energy it's just it's just basic energy and and not a lot more i mean especially if you look at the ramones right you just play your you know fingers to the bone for 2 minutes right those songs are 2 minutes long Right, and then you play the same song 
for another two minutes. And then the same song, you put different names on the song, right? But that is just so much fun. Right. Um, I, you know, the, the, the concept of, of using music to question society and question, you know, fairness or unfairness or justice or those sorts of things and, um, you know, sort of stick it to the man with music, um, I find more interesting and intriguing than love songs. Do you think music's a, a? Do you think music's a particularly good vehicle for that, or do you? Think it, you I like think it is better than books or something. Like I that think music is, uh, you know, music is great because it's so easy and accessible, and you don't have to know anything mm-hmm. to listen to music. Right. Um, you don't have to be literate True. to appreci- appreciate music. True. Um, you, um, it's often you know between two and five minutes long, which is sort of what we have capacity for attention you know people <laughs> read books but you know i i'm i and maybe i'm biased because i'm terrible at reading books i've read maybe eight books in my life um i'm just you know so i i, I think music is a great vehicle it's also something that um you know when you you know we're sort of spoiled because we speak english and um you know yes. a, a lot of you know music that we're exposed to is in english um, although probably most music is not in English, right? But for example, um, right. a band travels around the world, um, uh, you know, an, an English band, American band, whatever, a band that, that performs in English. And that can captivate audiences throughout the world. And we're, right. we're in a period right now where English happens to be the dominant language. You right, know, you go exactly. back 200 years and it was French, and then, you know, you move forward 200 years, it'll be Chinese or whatever, Um and so it's sort of an artificial point to be making, but even like music... say ni hao to our <laughs> listeners uh, who dig up this podcast a hundred years from now, but go ahead. Um, the, um, but, you know, music, if, if there is a message, it can be translated and, the, and, and putting the music, when it's good music, um, together with the story behind the music, whether it's the lyrics or just the story behind the music, right? There, there, there's music that has no lyrics, but that has a story behind it, mm-hmm. right? Many, um, uh, you know, classical music pieces for which there is no lyric uh, are meant to um, uh, convey a, an emotion or a feeling or or an, an historical event or something along those lines. And so mm-hmm. that, I think, can be, you know, you listen to a certain piece, and, and if I um, knew anything, I would, you know, drop a name or something right. here. Um, but, but and then you feel what was meant to be conveyed. Right. And so that's fantastically powerful. Um, so I think that's great. Now, you know, music for the sake of going and, and, and uh, twerking, uh, that's less intriguing to me. And so songs about love, if they're not, if, if they're just about, oh, you know, I miss my girl, and they don't say anything that's more than that, which has been said so many times, right? you know, but if it, if it, if it involves the concept of, you know, how it is that the, the importance of missing someone has, could, could move you to do something, then, then I think it, it may be yeah. more interesting, right? Agreed. Um, if it's, um, ooh, I want to get in your pants... That that's, you know, it's, I guess if you say it wittily enough, it, it can be kind of funny, but eventually it's not. Um, so, yeah. or, or I mean, again, have, it doesn't have the resonance or the long term. My preference is, you know, I get a little bit more philosophical bent to yeah, to, sure. to the lyrics. I'm with you. And then the music, I you know, I like, I like music that is more up tempo in general. 
Mm-hmm. Um, although I certainly can appreciate a, a smooth jazz. <laughs> if done correctly and, and in the right mood, right? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm probably willing to listen to anything, even even Van Morrison. <laughs> I do get a big Under kick out of conditions. out of putting on my arresting bitch face when you put it on, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. there's a level of doing material there that I appreciate. That well. that might just be the bit that's gone around for the last twenty right. some years. That's right. Yeah, it's and it's was it you who um when when I got engaged. Got us, a, I think, a, a CD player back then and a Van Morrison CD. That's possible. I'd have to think about that. Maybe that was, maybe it was Vinay. Uh, some, somebody was involved in I probably didn't yeah. have enough money to buy your CD player. Um, it may have fallen off the back of a truck. <laughs> I like it. Right, I think we're good for now. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have more topics you want to. We'll take a little break for a minute from the. Sounds good. I feel like I've put from the table. one piece down, hey, but I can't find any more white fur. Do you not have enough for that seal for the baby seal? Uh, maybe I need this. Oh, what's the other guy? Oh, it's the polar bear. There's a polar bear. All right, but before I, I'm going to just say official thank you to Nick Porter for being on. What else? Thanks for doing it. We'll do some more. My pleasure. All right. Fantastic fun. Thanks again for listening to this episode of What Else? And thanks to our sponsor, Emporium Arcade Bar in Chicago. And thanks to the Chicago Podcast Cooperative and Claire for all of their efforts and for hooking up the sponsorships, etc. I hope you enjoyed listening to Nick Porta and look forward to catching you next time. Thanks for listening.